And good morning, church family. It's great to see all of you here today. It's wonderful worshiping with you today. I want to welcome all those joining us online. So glad you were with us and participating in this worship experience. I need to tell you about something that happened two weeks ago. Uh, we end every worship service with one of our shepherds standing up on the stage and just giving some kind of blessing or some prayer over the church. And Brent Patterson stood up two weeks ago and he shared uh, just a testimony of encountering God in his life. And I love that you got to hear something like this from one of our elders. Because what Brent shared with you is that he had two days, two nights that the Lord woke him up. He woke up. And it was like the Lord woke him up with the number 116 on his mind. And finally, he decided to act upon this. Like, well, maybe God is telling me something that I need to look up. Now, my first thought was, and I was already walking to the back where I try to be back there to greet people as, as you leave. Uh, my first thought was Romans 1:16, which is, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power uh, for the world, for all those who are being saved. Like, I thought 116, like Lecrae, the Christian hip-hop artist, like his whole group is called 116. So my first thought was, maybe God is calling Brent to become a Christian hip-hop artist. Like, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe. And then Brent said what he did is he opened his Bible to Psalm 116. And that's what he prayed over the church that day. Psalm chapter 116. That same day, and Brent usually sits way over here on my right. And my good friend Jeff Cousins sits way over here on my left. Now for seven years, every single day of his life, Jeff Cousins reads the Psalms. Reads them. He knows them better than almost anybody I know. And every few weeks, Jeff and I, we meet at Cracker Barrel. That's where we meet to talk about life, faith, Jesus, what's going on. Uh, Jeff orders just a big bowl of greens. He doesn't want a cup. He wants a big bowl of greens. And we sit there and we talk about faith. And it's not unusual for Jeff to write out on an index card or a piece of paper a psalm that has meant a lot to him, either that day or that week. So Brent's way over there on the right. Jeff, two weeks ago, is way over here on the left. And, and I, it's not that they don't like each other. I just don't think they see each other much, all right? Jeff came running up to me after church because beginning that day on a Sunday morning, Jeff wrote a note to me. And on that note, what Jeff wrote was this. Josh, I've read through the Psalms for seven years. I was speaking to him, and it was the exact same thing. And they didn't know. It's what I call a heavenly wink. It's like every once in a while, it's like God just gives us a wink to remind us God is working, God is moving, God is connecting in ways we may not even know. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and 2. We're going to be in kind of both those chapters this morning. We're in a series right now called Squad. We're talking about what it means to be a part of a community, why connection is so important for us. And I covered your prayers. I asked for your prayers uh, for this reason. Last week, Casey and I, uh, we went on a vacation. We were gone last Sunday. This coming Saturday, I'm going to fly up to York University where I've been invited to speak. For, so I'm going to speak at a church camp. I'll be gone next Sunday, and I speak for six days. And this is a third straight summer this has happened. Every summer, I, I, I'm blessed. I have opportunities to go speak at church camps and youth rallies and spend some time with teenagers. And for three straight years, there's been a church camp that for the first time, they have invited, they want to invite a woman's voice to speak and just to share with the teenagers how God is moving in their life. And for three straight years, they've invited me to partner with my mom, to partner with my wife, to be that voice that speaks to teenagers, a male and female voice. So next week, my mom and I are going to meet up in York, Nebraska. And I have a chance, we have a chance, to speak to a few hundred teenagers for six days about the love of God. So if you would please pray for us that hearts will be stirred, that Jesus will speak to people. 
This morning I want to talk about Acts 2.42 again. And in this chapter, in this verse, it's they devoted themselves. If you mark in your Bible, underline in your Bible, I want you to notice they devoted. Now here's the thing. As much as I want to push us to understand that Jesus is all about connection, that we are wired for connection and that we need each other, you can't go through life on your own. Being baptized is not just about you and Jesus being good with each other forever. It's that we come together to help each other. Now, with that said, I don't believe God is trying to help create everybody and to make you into an extrovert. Like, it's not that God wants everybody to be the same amount of people, person, as, as, you know, as everyone else. It's, it's not it, but that we do, we need each other. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it's that they devoted themselves to four things. And I want you just to notice this word devoted. Because this is more than just like they kind of occasionally showed up and hung out together. Like they were committed. They were devoted. And I want you to see the few other places as it shows up in the book of Acts. And I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. But I want you to see in the book of Acts what the church is devoted to. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, here's what it says. They all devoted. It's the word proskaterio, the Greek word proskaterio. It's they all devoted themselves with one accord in prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meet together in the temple courts. Every single day they were meeting together, worshiping God, edifying the body. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, there's a need in the church. They're calling up some servants to take care of a need. The apostles realize there's a need. And here's what it says. It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our devotion to prayer and the ministry of the word. They're saying, we need you to go serve. What we're going to do is we're going to commit ourselves to prayer and to preaching. In Acts chapter 8, verse 13, it says Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he was devoted with Philip everywhere. Here's a moment where there's a new convert, and what this new convert does is devote himself to the person who opened him up to understand who Jesus is. He's devoted to the person who's helping him live into maturity with Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 17, when the angel who spoke to him, Cornelius, who had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devoted soldier. So in this moment, it's somebody who's devoted to him as a master, as a boss, someone who is devoted. This word devoted, if you look on this next screen, this word devoted, proskaterio, it means this, to stick by or be close at hand. It's to attach oneself to. It's to persist in something. So this isn't just that we occasionally show up. We are devoted, fully committed. We're all in, which begs to ask the question of all of us, what are we devoted to? Like, what are we devoted to? How devoted are we? And in Acts 2.42, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, Laura, if you'll go back to that first screen, that first image. This is a window screen. In 1860, it was the Gilbert and Bennett Manufacturing Company that they first created an affordable wired mesh woven window screen. And when they created this, and these had been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, some form of them, this was the first affordable one. And the way they marketed it was, if you get one of these, it will help eradicate disease. Because up until that point, like, I mean, if in the summer, especially in the South in the summer, in the 1860s, 1850s, 
Like if you try to open up a window, I mean, you're, you're trying to get breeze in, but all kind of bugs and mosquitoes are getting in too. So now they were able to eradicate disease to keep mosquitoes from get, getting in a house. Mosquitoes carrying malaria, carrying yellow fever. So it was to filter things from coming in. One of the first commercials or advertisements that ran in the newspaper for window screens in the 1860s was this is something that will help. This is the difference between absolute misery and sweet comfort. And who wouldn't want a little piece of sweet comfort, right? When we think screens, I bet none of us think window screens. If I were to ask you what image comes to mind when you think screen, you're probably not thinking window screens, something that filters bugs out. Most likely we're thinking about either television screens or phone screens where we open it up and we can choose what apps we want. And here's the thing, I am not anti-cell phone, I'm not anti-social media, but window screens were created to filter bugs out. And the screens we often find ourselves addicted to filter people out. Because on those phones, we can often choose what apps we want to follow, what people we want to follow, what voices we allow to speak into our lives, who we want to ignore, who we want to listen to, and we can filter people out. In Acts 2.42, it's like it's opening up the window to this whole new community, this brand new mission. Research has shown today that 80% of people living in, the, in America don't know their neighbors. 80%. Research shows that over a third of people living in the United States suffer from frequent loneliness. Like there's a need for relational connection in our lives. So here's what I want to help you do today. I want to help open the book of Acts to you for just a moment. I want to place two themes in front of you that run through every single page of the book of Acts. Scholars often go back and forth. You read scholars on the book of Acts. Some will say Acts 1 verse 8. This is a thesis of the book of Acts. Others will say Acts 2.42. This is a thesis of the book of Acts. If you take notes in your Bible or you're taking notes today, I would love for you just to write 1 verse 8 and 2 verse 42. And if you want to write it on every page of the book of Acts to remind you of these two themes, I invite you to do it. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, here's what it says. And for you visual learners, visual people, you need to see something in front of you. This is your day, all right? And I'm thankful for Donna Davenport who created all, all the little uh, poster boards I put up here today. Donna so graciously put those together. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power, and this is coming from Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this becomes a thesis for all of Acts. This is what you're going to see. Pentecost happens in Jerusalem, and now the good news of Jesus is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is about mission. It is about witness, and we, are all, we all play a part in how this happens, even to this day. We're people who are on mission. We're people who are called to be witnesses. When I first, uh, I've been on staff at a church now for 23 years. When I first uh, joined the staff, they invited me uh, in Abilene, Texas, me and one of our, uh, Casey and I, one of our best girlfriends, Sarah, to be the, the interim youth ministers while we were trying to make a youth ministry hire, who ended up being Jim Hinkle, who came to that church. So for a year, I worked as, with Sarah as co-youth ministers leading this youth group. 
And there's this one event that we were, we had, uh, we've been talking to people for weeks about relationship with God, about, we talking to, we had been talking to these teens about relationship with God, having a prayer life, reading the Bible, intimate relationship with God. And we were like, man, we need to call the kids to be witnesses. How are we calling them out into the world? So we came up with this event where everybody, we were going to come, we were going to eat pizza one night. And we were going to divide them up into groups to pray and to seek God that if they had one hour to go out into the city of Abilene and do random acts of kindness in the name of Jesus, what would they do? And the key was not just random acts of kindness, because we're not just called to go do random acts of kindness. We do it in the name of Jesus, because we are people who have been touched and saved and redeemed by Christ. We need the, the world needs to know that's why we do the things we do. So they came up with all these ideas, and then we gave every group around $75, and we gave them one hour to go and do it. So as we sent them out, I had $15 of my own, and I had to run to HEB, a grocery store there in Abilene, to get some things for us to have a dinner that night. I, it was just some plates and some cups and some ice. So I went to the store, but I took $15 with me to do some kind of random act of kindness in the name of Jesus as well. And I was running late, and as I ran to pass, I was rushing through, and I handed the cashier $15. I paid for my stuff. I said, ma'am, look, here's $15, and will you pay for whoever comes behind me and just tell them this is done in the name of Jesus? And she looked at me like I was the weirdest person she had encountered that day. Like, I've never had this request. I said, ma'am, look, just whoever comes up behind me, will you pay for whatever they have and just tell them this is done in the name of Jesus? And she shrugged her shoulders, and she was like, Sure. And I walked to the doors and I turned around because I was just curious. And I turned around to see two men walk up with a six pack of beer. <laughs> and I watched as she shrugged her shoulders and held $15 up and said, I, this is in the name of Jesus. So <laughs> I, I have bought beer for somebody in the name of Jesus before. I thought I may get fired back when I was 21 years old at a church buying beer for someone in the name of Jesus. But so we got back that night and, and, and we huddled around. Dozens and dozens of teenagers, and I shared my story first, and we all got a kick out of it. And then they went. And we had groups that day who would go through fast food lines, and they would pay for the car behind them, and they would leave them notes about how much Jesus loved them, or verses about the love of Christ. We had one group who went to Walmart and bought a bicycle to take to a kid in a neighborhood who didn't have a bike. We had a group who went and bought big tubs of ice cream, and they went and they sat on porches of single moms with four or five kids with eight, nine, ten plastic spoons going into ice cream together as they talked to people about the love of God. We had people who went and bought stuffed animals to take the children to the children's hospital. People who went and bought roses to take to nurses who were working a shift on that Sunday, early Sunday after uh, Sunday afternoon uh, that evening. And, and what the kids ended up saying that night is what we realized tonight is that doing things like this is really not that hard. I think sometimes we think that if we are going to be these witnesses for God, we need to give to the big events or give to the missionaries who are doing things all over the world. A lot of times it's the small things you do that just add up for eternity. We are witnesses. Now, I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's like this ripple. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Each of you have your own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. The church, we have our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The gospel of Jesus moves and it advances and we are invited to be a part of it. So one of the themes that runs through every page of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And the other is what we've been looking at now for six weeks. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to this beautiful community. 
Now, here's what I know right now. If I were to say, hey, you know what, let's take the next three minutes and will you stand up and will you just, will you say hi to three people around you and two people you don't know? If I were to do this, I know right now that Casey and Allison and Megan would stand up and they would say, three's not enough. We're overachievers. We're going for 10. Like they would just soak in that moment. And some of you would be like, Jesus, will you come back right now? Like I... I don't believe in the rapture, but God, right now I do. And will you just rapture me? I'm either going to the restroom, I'm going to the parking lot. Like it is not, it is not for you. All these people, they're devoted. Now here's the thing, Acts 2.42, this community that is formed, they devote themselves every single day to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking the bread and to prayer. And I don't want to say it was easy for them to do it, but I want you to think about this. Here are 3,000 people who had experienced the exact same thing. They experienced a miracle of God, a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Like they experienced miraculous wonders. So they all experienced God at the same time in the same way. And now they are in this community and every day it's like, man, we don't want to go back home. We traveled here for a festival. They devoted themselves to things. And in some ways, it sounds idealistic, right? I mean, how many of you every single day would be able to devote yourselves with other people to the apostles' teaching, meeting in a temple or in the exact same space? Like, it sounds kind of idealistic. Here's what I want to do. And if you don't hear anything that I've said so far, in the next 30 seconds, I want you to hear this. Because I think what I have to say in the next few seconds could shape how you read the book of Acts for the rest of your life. And it's this. Be the rest of the book of Acts. The more this happens, Acts 1 verse 8, the harder this becomes. The further the mission goes into the world, the harder and harder community becomes the more they take seriously what it means to be witnesses, especially going beyond Judea, the harder it is to devote themselves to community. And I'm going to show you this morning a couple of places in Acts where it's almost like they had to choose. Like maybe we just need to be witnesses and try to save souls, and if they end up in community, then fine, and if not, fine. Or let's just, become that, let's just become that country club where we are members who take seriously what it means to live in good marriages and have good families and we just kind of hunker down and do our own thing, but we're not able to take mission seriously. The rest of the book of Acts, the more Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is embodied, the harder it is to honor the kind of community that is found in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And I'm going to show you nine different places where this happens. In the first one, I want you to look in Acts chapter 5, and I'm going to hit these fairly quick today. In Acts chapter 5, and I just want to hit character right now. Acts chapter 5 is a story about Ananias and Sapphira. You got two people, husband and wife, and what happens in the story is they sell some property, and they got some money, and they give some of it to the apostles, but they make it sound like they gave all of it to the church. They hold some back, and, and by doing this, they both die. Now, I know preachers and pastors who often use Acts chapter 5 to talk about generosity. That, well, if you don't give, I'm not saying you're going to die. But if you do, maybe you should try to be a more generous person. And 
I think, and I would like to try to convince you this morning, that Acts chapter 5 is about character. And we live in a time now for a decade, two decades, like we have seen a decline of character. And I'm not just talking about politicians. This happens in businesses, in the church. Like just people don't hold character up as something that we honor and we protect at all costs and we hold people accountable to it. Like a lot of times we buy into ideology and then based on the ideology, maybe character comes with it or not, but we're going to hold on to ideology. And I want to encourage this as believers in Jesus, hold up character as something to be honored at all costs. In Acts chapter 5, and why this is so critical in Acts chapter 5 is now you're beginning to see the good news of Jesus go beyond Jerusalem. And as it does, I think Acts chapter 5 is reminding the church as the mission goes, as we become witnesses to the whole world, we do it as people who are holding up righteousness as something we give our lives to. And as we do, we are holding up character in the church As the standard, like this is something we should be encouraging all people to live deeper into righteousness and holiness. Character matters, and we cannot let that bar be lowered at all. Acts chapter 6. You get some hungry widows. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. You'll see it on the screen right now. Basically what has happened is you have the Hellenistic Jews who were complaining against the Hebraic Jews that they're being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So you have some widows now who are being neglected. And I don't know how this went down. But a Hellenistic Jew is someone who, they spoke Greek, they embodied some Greek culture, so they were a little different. Maybe, uh, you know, they spoke a different language. They, They used different phrases. And I don't know if this was an intentional move by the people who were handing out food as if, like, hey, at 7 a.m., like, Hellenistic Jews, you go back to the corner and we're taking care of Hebraic Jewish widows first. Or if it was something like they knew Hebraic Jews better. Like, hey, if you'll just show up at 645 instead of 7, we'll start handing out food early. I don't know how it went down. Somehow, Hellenistic Jews felt like they were being neglected. It's the first time in the book of Acts you begin to see some isms, racism, ageism, classism. And why this is so important now, the message of Jesus is now going beyond Jerusalem, and now there's a challenge in the church. And it doesn't seem like something that's a really big deal. But in Acts chapter 6, it's almost like if we don't take seriously the small things to divide community before we know it, the whole community is going to be divided by a lot of things. We've got to take seriously the small things in order to protect community. So in Acts chapter 6, they realize that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is meant to break down walls and bring circles together, not have some kind of community where people are at odds. So for the mission to continue, we've got to make sure we're united in every way. In Acts chapter 9, you get the story about Saul. You get Saul who's about to become Paul. He's on the road to Damascus. He's not a Christian yet. He's a devout believer in God, but he is not a believer in who Jesus is. And God meets him in Acts chapter 9 on the road. And what you read, if you'll go to this verse, in Acts chapter 9, verse 8, is right there. It's like Saul falls on his face, and God like goes after his eyes. He's blind. He cannot see. And this is such a pivotal moment for the book of Acts. Because for this to happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
your eyes have to be adjusted to see the world the way God sees the world. This beautiful moment, if you go to this next verse, in Acts chapter 9, verse 18 and 19, it's immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and he was baptized. And then there was this meal that was provided. Like in Saul's baptism, there were scales that fell from his eyes because, and pardon the pun, Saul saw the world in a very black and white world. And now God needs Saul to be this leader who is going out into the world, promoting everything about Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And to do this, he had to adjust the way Saul's eyes could see. How many of our eyes need to be adjusted on a daily basis? Because we have scales and we have lenses that the whole world is trying to put on us to see the world the way other things and other people and groups want us to see the world. And God is wanting to adjust our vision to see the world the way God wants us to see the world. God went straight for Saul's eyes. In Acts chapter 10, you get Peter. And this is a story about Peter's eyes. Because Peter is someone who walked with Jesus, yet he still didn't get it. What happens in Acts chapter 10 is that Peter receives a vision and in the vision a sheet comes down and in the sheet there's all kind of food that Peter was told he could not eat. Bacon, rendezvous ribs, you got your fried catfish and your shrimp and your lobster and your crabs, like food he had been taught his whole life he cannot eat it. And now in the vision, it's like God is saying, hey, there's food you're going to eat in the future that you haven't been able to eat in the past, and it's going to be okay. And not only that, there are people who you thought have been unclean in the past that through what Jesus does in their lives, they're going to be at the table too, and it's okay. And look at what happens. And I'm just going to show you a couple of verses. In verse 27, or if you go to the verse right before that, Oh, no, that's it, that's it. Verse 27. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You're, you all are aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or clean. It's like Peter's just processing this out loud. He's been taught throughout his entire life that there is a community made up of who is in and who is out. And now this mission that he received straight from Jesus, Peter was there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when he heard these words from Jesus about being witnesses to the entire world, he heard them, he heard Jesus say it, and now he is faced with the reality of what this means. And the way the story goes, Peter starts preaching to them about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit interrupts Peter's sermon. And then Peter says this, that surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And if you haven't noticed that before, it's one thing for Peter just to go and talk about Jesus to Gentiles. Now he stays with Gentiles for a few days. As he begins to take Acts chapter 1-8 seriously and not neglect what community is, this is the way of God, and it's also going to get him in all kinds of trouble. Because in Acts chapter 11, it's all about opposition. Everywhere you go in life, there's going to be at least one critic, am I right? One person somewhere in your life who criticizes every... It's like they wake up and they just think it's a spiritual gift. Like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, criticize everything you see, Right? But in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, I mean, you have these people, and I think it's coming from a good place. Like, all their lives they have been taught who is in, who is out, what it means to be a follower of God. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, 
It says the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. You see right now, as Acts chapter 1-8 is happening and the gospel is advancing throughout the world, community is becoming harder and harder to the point where Peter and Paul, it's like they have to decide. Like, can we just go be witnesses and not have to deal with all the challenges that community may bring as we are these witnesses in the world? But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them do it. It's like as you were witnesses, there will be more and more challenges because the beautiful, eclectic group God is bringing together in the church, but you keep being witnesses and you keep fighting for the community God's bringing together. So watch how this happens in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Because now you get Paul. And now it happens. Like you get just a kind of a snapshot, a picture of how this happens in Acts 13 and 14. And what happens is Paul goes from Antioch to Iconium, to Lystra, to Derby, and everywhere he goes, people are surrendering their lives to Jesus. And everywhere he goes, persecution's breaking out too. Paul's sharing people about Jesus. He's persecuted. He goes somewhere else, he shares about Jesus. Now they threaten to stone him. He goes somewhere else, shares about Jesus. Now they do stone him. Like all this is happening. So Paul's understanding is we become witnesses, there are challenges. And then you read this in Acts chapter 14. After Paul went to all those places and there was persecution, it says they preached the gospel in that city and went a large number of disciples. And then they returned to the very same places where persecution had broke out, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. I hope you're seeing how this plays out in the book of Acts. That when the church takes seriously what it means to be witnesses, there are challenges. But Acts 2.42 is still what we hold on to and try to honor and protect that we are called to be in this community. Not just saving souls as a way that where, their, where their status changed, but where souls are being drawn into a community where they know they belong. And then there's Acts chapter 15. Because as the ripple goes throughout the ends of the earth, it comes back to Jerusalem in Acts 15. In Acts 15, I would argue it may be the most important chapter in the book of Acts. Because Acts 15 takes head on the challenge between Acts 1-8 and Acts 2-42. And here's how it goes. I want to read the first five verses to you. In Acts 15, you read this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, where, the te- where uh, teach- they were teaching the uh, believers, unless you, are, uh, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Acts 15 is so pivotal that if we keep being witnesses, are we going to fight just as hard for this community to be united? Or 
Do we just become witnesses who are advocating for a cause, but we don't have a community behind it? Or do we become a country club that sometimes forgets what it means to be witnesses and people who are on mission? And Acts 15, is, it's, it has to be both. The apostles, elders, and the church met and prayed and fasted and discerned. And here's what they agreed to do. In verse 22, the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. It's like they realized we don't have a say in this. The Holy Spirit has told us this is what it means to be the church. And then here's what they sent to all the other churches. Beginning in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. To abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And I want you to notice, just that right there, leave that verse up there just for a minute. Now, some, some of you, like, you're trying to sift through, like, what that may mean. Like, does this mean you can't eat steak, anything less than well done? I don't think so. Basically, what Acts 15 is doing is saying this. Look, table fellowship has to be protected at all costs. So what we're going to do, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is to let everyone know, look, hey, circumcision is no longer a requirement. What we are asking is this. You make sure that when people come to the table, they can come to the table with clear consciences and protect character at all costs. That's it. Some of these people have been raised in communities and religious communities where they have probably been given a list of 500 do's and don'ts and they broke it down to this, look, we have to protect table fellowship at all costs. We all come together in the same family. And Acts 15 is what helps everyone in the body of Christ know the mission doesn't change. We embody it, we fight for it, we give for it, give to it. We live this out every single day and the community stays together through it all. This is what we live for, it's what we honor, it's what we fight for. The bread and the cup reminds us of the truth of Acts 1-8 and Acts 2-42. That the bread and the cup, this meal that we take every week, this is the beginning place of Christian community. It is the gathering place of Christian community. And it is the launching place of Christian community. This reminds us that we are witnesses of what Jesus has done. And it reminds us that the community we are a part of is to be honored at all costs. This morning we come and we get to take the bread and the cup all over again. As people invite us to this community and as we touch this bread and touch this cup to our lips and as it enters into us, may it remind us of the community we are a part of here at 1910 Sycamore View Road. And may it remind us of the witnesses we are called to be in the world. As I pray for this bread and the cup, we'll have elders in the front and the back. I'll be up here to my left. Suzanne Marrero will be to my right. Casey Ross will be over here to my left to receive you for prayer. Anything we can do for you. Will you bow your heads this morning? And let's pray and give God thanks for everything you have done in and through Jesus. And for the mission that you gave to the apostles and that you give to the church, may it enter into us today to remind us that we have been called to be people who are bold, brave, and courageous. 
May the good news continue to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And God, will you help us to know how we are invited into that story? And God, community can be so hard as we try to fight through uh, cliques or where we belong. So help us today to live in a way where we invite all people to the table and into relationship. It's in and through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.